voice actress, Twitch streamer with Rainbow Mike Gaming, and Flynn's birthday twin. And you're listening to the I Know You Hear Me podcast. People have always asked me, Flynn, how do I become a professional wrestler? How do I become an actor? How do I become a podcaster? How do I get an agent? Well, if you're somebody that's asked these questions, then I've got the solution for you. I'm now offering coaching options that will help you find the answers to these questions and get on the path to success. So if you've been held back by fear, overthinking, or just don't know where to start, email me at dflynnhendricks at gmail.com, use the subject line coaching, and let me get in your corner and help get you on the path to success. And I know you hear me. Hey, hey, I know you hear me when I say we're back for another awesome episode and another end to an awesome week, hopefully for you, on the I Know You Hear Me podcast with me, Flynn Hendricks. And guys, life is crazy, life is busy, but I would not have it any other way. I'm here solo in studio today, getting ready to wrap up this fair tour that's been going on as we're about to record. Got two days on the road back to back, and man, is it going to be crazy. Then we've got some other things coming up at the end of the month. Things are just slammed. But on top of that, here's where it gets exciting. And here's why I am so excited. The guests just keep coming and they keep getting bigger and bigger. And I am excited and fortunate enough to have these chats and bring them to you. But man, to keep this train rolling as we keep going here, I've got to ask... Is this your first time listening to an episode, or are you a long-time listener that maybe hasn't hit that oh-so-magical subscribe button? Because if you haven't, guys, I've got to ask you right now. You already know that we're on your preferred podcasting platform. We're everywhere. Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, you name it, this podcast is there. But if you haven't yet, hit that subscribe button, leave that five-star review, share it with your family, share it with your friends, share it with the world, and just get the word out there so I can keep this podcast going and keep bringing you awesome guests like my one here today. And on top of that, too, guys, we still have merch available. And I've got shirts, I've got 8x10s, you want autographed 8x10s, I've got that. I can give you a personalized voicemail shout-out. And on top of that, too... If you want to get tagged or shouted out on social media and on this podcast with its growing worldwide audience, guess what? All you've got to do is take a picture of you wearing the shirt, or if you got a picture, hold it up, tag me in it, and then I will give you a shout out on both my social media platforms and this podcast, so your name will go worldwide. <laughs> that sounds pretty cool if you ask me, but not only that, here's the coolest part of it for me. You help keep this podcast going but you also help benefit the Nashville Humane Society, or if you prefer your donation or a portion of that sale to go to the Peter Mayhew Foundation, that's a win too. But man, like, anything you can do greatly helps this podcast, helps me keep it going, and helps me keep bringing you quality content and guests like the one I've got here today. But first and foremost, guys, this has been a crazy, crazy, man, I guess last two weeks as I'm getting ready to record this. This will come out a little bit later. You already know that. And I'm functioning on little to no sleep, but I'm loving every minute of it. It's been a crazy, crazy ride. Wrestling's picking back up. Acting is going. It's still going. Auditions are coming in. And it's just not enough hours in the day, guys. But like I said, I'm blessed. I'm fortunate. And I wouldn't have it any other way. Well, I say that, but I would squeeze in a few more hours of sleep if it was possible. But hey, it's a labor of love, and I love what I'm doing. 
So guys, if you love what I'm doing too, go take care of what I just said a few minutes ago. Get that merch, hit that subscribe button, leave that five-star review. Connect with me on social media so you can keep up with what's going on. You can connect with my guests, and I guarantee you, you're going to want to connect with today's guest as well. And like I said, this is one I am excited to have here today. This interview is one I've been looking forward to for a while, specifically since the first day of ICC earlier this year. And truth be told, I think you guys are going to know who this is once I start naming off some of his accomplishments, but let's, let's go ahead and give him the introduction that he deserves. He is not only a world-renowned illustrator, he's also an author, a comic strip artist, and he's a songwriter. And this is where a lot of people may know him from, but he was Jim Henson's cartoonist. He created the Muppets comic strip. He was instrumental in Jim Henson's Fraggle Rock, and he was also involved in the creation of the Muppet Babies. He's done the Nancy comic strip. He's been involved in writing books and children's books. He is a musician extraordinaire. Ladies and gentlemen, I can't sing this guy's praises enough. It is my pleasure to have on the show here, Guy Gilchrist. Guy, thank you so much for taking time in between your travels to be on here tonight. Oh, man, it's my pleasure. Uh, do we have any time left for the uh, uh, the podcast now that uh, that, that introduction? Uh, <laughs> well, that, was, that was around 15 minutes, wasn't it? Oh, I could I could stretch it out to about 15 minutes if you want. keep a job <laughs> Oh, yeah, we got, we got plenty of time for you, sir. Don't worry about that. <laughs> man so like you were, we were just talking before we started rolling mics here you just got back in from austin and just keeping up with you you know through text and social media you've been all over the place not only hitting the convention scene but doing it up for the fourth of july and everything in between so how are you how are you feeling between all these travels uh you know uh you know it's like mickey dolan used to say the monkeys monkeys he used to say you know we you know, we, we play for free. You you pay us to travel. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the, tra- the travel, you know, the, the, the travel, while it's it's lovely and it's wonderful that you're in all of these different places, of course, but that's why you're there is, uh, uh, you know, is to, to meet the folks that love what you do uh, wherever you are. And uh, it's a look, it's a it's it's a it's an incredible life. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I have been doing uh you know, an awful lot of, uh, of the cons. And one of the reasons is, you know, we went through, uh, COVID mm-hmm. and there were, there were quite a few of them that had been, uh, you know, uh, postponed. And then those came up this year. And then there were already the ones that I had booked for this year. And so when you, you know, sort of put it all together, uh, it's a lot, uh, Absolutely. boy, there's an awful lot of smiles and silliness and uh, a lot of fun and a lot of connecting. Absolutely. And let, let's go back to the beginning of your story here, talking about connecting especially. What was it that drew you to all these different artistic mediums that you've become so well-known in, especially like with not only like the cartoony, like being a cartoonist, but also being a musician how did all that start for you, and what was it like on the the family side of things when they saw these passions and love developing? Were they supportive of it? Were they kind of just like it keeps them busy, so we're okay with it? What was all that like for you? Um, well, my mother, uh, my mother was a good artist, and mm-hmm. she was uh, someone that would show me, you know, that you could, you know, make an oval, and that oval could become Woody Woodpecker or Bugs Bunny or something so uh and she was a single mom at the beginning and 
Uh, so we were together a lot. She would work at the diner or the hotel, uh, and she would bring me with her, and we didn't have anything. And so there'd be a pencil and a paper and the funnies from that day, and that would keep me busy. She would let me walk uh, or walk me when I was really young across the street to the uh, you know, real small town in Connecticut uh, over to the appliance store mm -hmm. where I could watch Woody Woodpecker and the Walter Lance show. Uh, so uh, the, the passion came from the fact that I could have a piece of paper, basically have nothing there, draw something, give it to somebody. They were happy. It was a gift. They didn't have any money or anything. I was making a friend. And that really did something to me. I, it gave me a lot of joy, you know, that, that I could make people laugh, I could make friends laugh at school, all that kind of stuff. Um, in regard to being, uh, you know, uh, supportive, uh, you know, my mother was. Uh, she uh, she remarried. I didn't have an incredibly happy uh, home life, mm -hmm. uh, but that fueled it too because it's like, okay, well, I'm out of here, and uh, you know, I don't want to be here. This is where I want to be, and I would look at uh, this is what these are the things that I want to do. Whether it was, you know, a guitar at ten years old, but you know, but at the earliest age that I could ever remember a pencil and saying, you know, I can go to New York or LA now living in Connecticut. I could at 12 years old, 13 years old, right. get a ticket and, and, uh, take train into New York. And that's what I started doing. I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And that's where all the, that that's where all the talent was. I mean, if I was closer to LA, it would have been that. You know, mm -hmm. man, that's so um, fascinating. But, yeah, but definitely, you know, my mom supported me uh, in it. Also, I was very determined. Uh, I was also a really independent kid. Uh, I, you know, would get any kind of a job that I could uh, to make the money to right. buy art supplies, you know, to buy comic books and to buy train tickets, you know, into New York or a bus ticket to go into Hartford, Connecticut, and. Uh, try to get jobs there, you know, with the different businesses and stuff in the newspapers there. Absolutely. And that, I mean, that determination too at such a young age is something that does not need to be underplayed because when you, when you have that level of like self-awareness to know that that's like what you're passionate about and what you want to do, you're, I mean, you're gung-ho like, you know, previous guest to the show, Marty DeRosa said, when you find that passion, you start finding ways to make it work. And that's something that needs to be applauded more than I think people realize because especially at a young age too, what you're doing to make it happen, getting the jobs to buy the art supplies, going into the city and, you know, just doing all this stuff. It, it's an amazing story to hear that at this young age, you, you were already putting feet to pavement and you were already determined to, to make it work. That's awesome to hear. Well, that's a very important thing for anybody. Whatever mm -hmm. you're, whatever you're into, um, is to realize that you know uh, there's a, there there are many many excuses for you about why you're not doing what you love. Right. Uh, you can make up, you know, you can create as many walls as you want uh, around you, saying, "Oh, I can't do this, I can't do that." Look at this person, look at that person. Well, look at yourself. 
and say, what is it that I want to do? And then start writing down every idea that you can possibly have about how to go do that thing. And your brain's going to start figuring it out. Absolutely. We're very, very smart. And, you know, we're, we're, we're very, very smart. And we can be very, very determined if we allow ourselves to be. 100%. And if we don't, if we don't keep you know, going off side streets and everything, but we keep on, you know, going on a path. We don't even have to know exactly how we're going to get there. We just have to be determined, uh, ask God, the universe, whatever you want to call, mm-hmm. uh, that, uh, you know, you know, you put this desire inside of me and then give yourself the opportunity to start figuring it out. One of the problems that we have now, uh, which I think it was a blessing for me back uh, in the 60s and stuff when I was growing up, that, you know, the, yeah, we had radio and well, we had television, but we didn't have this computer in our pocket, yeah. you know, with a camera and games and all of this stuff, because I meet so many young people who are all over the place, and they're... You know, and their focus is going, you know, five seconds here, five seconds here, five, and you wonder why you're not getting anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to get into it. And, you, you know, it's like, you know, this, you know, you can't win if you don't play, right? And Absolutely. And you got to go. You got to go. And the other thing is this bit with the, uh, well, when's it going to be the perfect time? Never. 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 Today's the time. Right yep. now. And I mean, I think there's, there's even. Right? There's even an illustration of, uh, you know, of the thinker statue, and then right next to that, there's a little podium that says the doer, and you see the footsteps going off while the thinker is still there. And I mean, it, it's exactly like you said. But the, the thinker would have never gotten done. Yeah, right. Had mm-hmm. the sculptor not done it. Exactly. Exactly. And then, like you said too, <laughs> making sure that we stay on path and not get diverted down these different side streets with that cell phone, with this social media age, it is so easy to do so. And then on top of that, we end up in this never-ending rat race of comparing ourselves to the next person who's not even on our journey, not even in competition with ourselves, and we just automatically demotivate ourselves and take ourselves out of what we love. And Well, we have all of these, you're right, see, we have all of these things that are, like, already there, like, we're, so, we're, we're supposed to, you know, so if we look at our heroes and go, oh my gosh, you know, I wish I could be like, well, you know, well, but then how did they get there? Mm-hmm. Now, Look at all the affirmations. Look at all the decisions that they made, okay? Realize that they're out there for a reason. Yep. And you're drawn to that for a reason. So find out how they did it and go do that. Instead of saying, oh, gee, I wish I could. Guess what? You can. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, that's that's the thing, too. You have to have that affirmation in yourself, and you also have to have that network of people that will support you and not bring you down about it. You have to have it in all fronts and also manifest it out into the world. Absolutely. And, you know, like, it's it's great to, you know, it's it's great to have, uh, you know, to have friends and family and stuff. But, you know, sometimes, sometimes our friends and our family look at what we're doing and they may love us so much or oh, something yeah. that, they, that they're saying, oh, no, 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 because they don't want to see you hurt. Exactly. Okay? So you've got to be within yourself, and no one knows the fire inside you except you. But yes, as you're moving along that journey, 
instead of derailing yourself with just friends and say, oh, you know, you're great, you're great, yeah, oh, let's go do this, let's go do that. If you find people that are also driven, and they don't have to be driven to the same exact thing that you are, but that they're doers too, you know, it's just like it's just like being on a great baseball team. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, you're trying to be the best shortstop you can. They're trying to be the best left fielder. There's the lefty coming in from the pen, whatever. We're all on our own journeys, but then we come together and we support each other and we get that win, you know? Absolutely. And that, man, that's so awesome that you say that too, because as as we're recording, my son just finished his um, his travel ball and they had their state championships, which six and under, that's kind of like cats hurting, you know, hurting cats at that point, but they came together, they found their strengths, and everybody got better off of that, but nobody was in competition with each other. They all supported each other, and it was that network like you just described. Everybody's in it for that common goal, and therefore everybody gets better in the process. So it's it's funny how it all comes together like that. Uh, baseball is, you know, when uh, I was telling someone, I was doing an interview very recently, mm-hmm. and they you know, name your childhood idols. And this, so this wouldn't be like, you know, Jim, you know, and the idols that I, you know, the, the, and the mentors that I had, you know, but who were, who were the guys that you looked up to? And of course I said, you know, I said, Walter Lance, because he was so important to me and mm-hmm. he did bring me, you know, uh, with a letter at 10, but you know, I'd say, you know, well, Walter Lance and, and, uh, uh, Abbott and Costello and, and, uh, you know, and Stan and Ollie. Right. You know, they made the world funny. Right. And but I also said Ted Williams and I said, and Ted Williams was this huge, huge part of my life. I mean, you know, he retired in 1960, you know, hit his home run, last at bat. Everybody knows all that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, but I read his book. I, I wanted to be like Ted Williams. And I read his book and I realized that, you know, the greatest hitter of all time you know, went four for 10, you know, three yep. for 10 will get you in the hall. Right. But mm-hmm. he was four. For 10. He, and the thing was that he didn't have a dad, you know, his mother, much like my mom, you know, was like a single mom. Yep. He was basically an orphan in San Diego. And what did he do every day? He hit the ball. He hit a ball a thousand. He swung a bat a thousand times. And you know, kept putting a nail through the ball, you know, and hitting it on, yeah. a, on a on a on a rope outside his garage. And uh, you know, here he was, just like this is what I'm gonna do. You know, whatever you lacked in your life, you find in your passion. Absolutely. And, and then you know, and and there he was practicing. And we look at baseball, and it's a perfect analogy because. Um, because you've got to be in the moment. If you're up at the plate and that ball came through, you thought it was high, they called it a strike, or you swung and you missed, whatever. If you keep thinking about that one, you're going to miss the next one. Yep. And if you do get a hit and everything, now you're out in the field and you're still thinking about that, well, then you're going to miss that ground ball, that fly ball, or whatever it is. That's and it. And you're not going to make that cutoff or whatever. And then you look around at everybody else, and everybody else is doing the same thing. And you're li- and somebody's having a bad day, and you're lifting them up, and you're having a bad day, and they're lifting you up, and uh, you know, and and you're practicing individually, and you have individual stress on you and everything, but then uh, that you've got a place, uh, you know, uh, that bridge that you've built uh, to uh, 
you know, to find the space uh, and the people that are in the same groove you are. Absolutely. And that's and that's the key thing right there. That's so powerful. And especially, too, because I didn't exactly come from the best upbringing at home. And I know I started exploring my endeavors through whatever it was, band or drama, whatever it may be, or even, you know, like drawing cartoons and seeing where that has gotten me now. Like, it's so, I don't want to say inspiring to hear, you know, like that people that come from the broken homes are the ones that end up having these strong careers. But it's nice to know that you're not alone in that regard, too, because oftentimes we defeat ourselves right there thinking that, man, I'm alone because, you know, my household isn't the best or I don't come from the best home like so-and-so and we automatically don't pursue the passions or whatever it may be and we just set ourselves up for failure right out of the gate but when you have these people like you mentioned earlier that you can see what they did follow the steps to success and make your own success from it it just automatically sets you up to be the next person that achieves that dream and then becomes that example for somebody else it's a it's a vicious cycle if you let it be but it's also a powerful cycle if you have the right mindset and the right mentality to bring those people up around you and let them bring you up and not shut them out. It's it's just amazing what the positivity and determination can do for you. Yeah, well, you know, it's like the Roadrunner, okay? Yep. So, like, okay, so we all know the Roadrunner, and I've gotten to draw the Roadrunner. Mm-hmm. Okay, but, so if we think of our life, like, okay, so we see the Roadrunner cartoon, and there's that big trail of cloud of dust behind him, right? Okay. Right. So that's your past. Okay. Now, no one's responsible for that but you. Okay. Whatever the path that you just ran, okay, and you're now we're watching that, you know, that cartoon, okay, and we're seeing everywhere that he went. Mm-hmm. But now he's doing, 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 and he's right there, right? Well, that's you right now. And so that's you today. So. Um, if you, um, uh, uh, a very important thing to remember, uh, and there's a very old adage and it's very cornball these days to say that, you know, right where you are is, uh, the result of every single choice you've ever made in your entire life. Oh, now, yeah. if you can, if, if you can applaud yourself and applaud God and congratulate yourself and thank God for every single good thing that's gone on and you give yourself you know a big hand for everything all the good things that you've done you also need to uh accept the fact that you're responsible for all the the not so good stuff and the bad stuff and all of that but that's all back there in that trail and that trail is gone and now you know the roadrunner and wiley are going to get into it and everything and then we're gonna you know wiley's gonna fall and we're gonna cut the scene and we're gonna do it again well that's the next day here we go (laughs) that's it and then we do it all over again but i mean that's so insightful right there and i'll take that as a great segue into my next question too because especially with all the art you've created over the years and you mentioned earlier you know that that jim henson was someone that you that you looked up to and idolized how did he come into the picture and what was it like for you actually getting to work with him and not just being starstruck every time you were around him and being in awe. What was all that like to, I guess, to put it in perspective and keep it in check for a young guy at that time? Okay, well, the story of how I got to meet Jim is is one thing, and then the working with him is certainly another, mm-hmm. and the getting, you know, getting over the fact that I was working with him was also right. another thing. 
Um, but the way that I got the job uh, took a long time. Uh, so I'm going to try to make this really brief, but this is how it went. Okay. So uh, I was uh, – I had just gotten a job out of high school. I was around, uh, I'll say, like, you know, 19 or 20, and uh, and I just got a job with Weekly Reader. And uh, they uh, they had uh, book clubs and comic books and all kinds of – and I got a job uh, doing comic book for Weekly Reader. It was a huge deal for me because it was the very first national thing that my name was going to be on. Because I had worked for Disney and stuff in, 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 starting at 16 mm-hmm. and done all kinds of other uh, other stuff. But, you know, my name wasn't on, you know, coloring books for Disney. Uh, right, right. All. So this was a big thing. Plus I was writing it. And uh, that was a big thing, writing it. Well, anyway, I read a book called Backstage at the Strips by Mort Walker, and Mort Walker, the creator of Beetle Bailey, High and Lowe's, Bonner's Ark, the, 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 the most successful and printed uh, comic strip artist of all time. Mm-hmm. And I found out he, leaves, he, he lived in uh, Connecticut on the, you know, on the very rich side over there near New York, uh, and I was over on the other side of Connecticut. Uh, but so I read this book, and I find out about this community of all of these incredible illustrators and stuff that all, you know, were the most famous guys in the world. And uh, so, and I found out that he had taken several million of his own dollars, bought a castle, uh, first a house uh, in uh, downtown uh, Greenwich, and then he bought a a castle out uh, on the New York line and had the Museum of Cartoon Art. Well, as soon as I found out that it was there, I was driving there constantly. And every Sunday... Uh, first Sunday of every month back then, this is the 70s, he would have a famous artist come in and do a chalk talk. Well, sometimes they couldn't make it. So they'd look around, uh, and of course there was a lot to choose from, but sometimes they would just give it to me. I was comfortable getting up in front of people and blabbing and everything and telling jokes and stuff like I am right now with you. Yep. And I, I was always this way, and I would draw and teach kids how to draw and whatever and, and, and uh, draw upside down and all kinds of magic tricks and stuff. And anyway, Mort saw it one day. He came in after playing tennis or golf, and he saw me. And he goes, hey, you know, you're pretty good. There's only a couple of problems here. Uh, no one knows who you are, and no one knows what you do. So what do you do, and who are you? And I went on my truck, and I got the funny animal comic that I was doing, brought it in, showed it to him, and he scheduled uh, a, a talk with my name and said, put your artwork up and everything, go get your art, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll give you a talk. Oh, wow. And he never forgot that. Uh, cut to a year and a half, whatever it was later. And uh, Mort's out playing golf with the head of King Features, Bill Yates. And Bill is saying, hey, we've been trying for like a year and a half, two years, with a development on a comic strip that is you know, going to be based on the Muppets. But we've tried like 200 different teams out. Uh, the Henson people are nuts. They don't like anybody. Mm. They, you know, we, we've, we've had tits and starts and everything. We're about to lose the deal. And Mort goes, uh, that's a frog and a pig, right? he says well there's this hippie kid draws pretty good funny animals why don't you call him and anyway i couldn't believe that bill yates was calling me because i had been sending in you know stuff oh yeah uh trying king features was it man and uh anyway but i did get the call and after i uh 
And this is the first time he called, I hung up on him because, and I said something not very nice because I thought it was my brother-in-law <laughs> giving me the business. I've, you know, I've heard that story so many you know, times in wrestling times too. I tried to get into the king, and I was very impressed with the fact that he knew that Bill Yates was who he was, that he even got that name from a phone book or something. Right. Anyway, so I uh, anyway I tried out. I'm gonna re- now I'm gonna make this short. I tried out. He liked it. He sent it over to Henson. They liked it. Okay. Uh, he said, give me some more stuff. So I just kept sending him more stuff. He never said, don't send me more. He'd call me every once in a while. You know, you don't have to send me all that. Well, I kept on doing it. Eventually, I got an audience with Michael K. Frith, Jim's everything, his art director. Mm-hmm. I went over to 117 East 69th in New York, uh, saw him up at Central, was absolutely blown away. Now I'm thinking I'm on the threshold of this dream. Thank you, the movie Blues. I'm on the threshold of a dream. And I just kept on going. And no one told me not to. They didn't tell me I had the job, but they didn't tell me I didn't. So I just kept on going. Well, right. after 10 months later. And I and I get a phone call from Jerry Jewell, who with Jack Burns were the writers of The Muppet Show. And it's Jerry Jewell on the phone, and he's telling me a gonzo joke. And <laughs> I'm going, Mr. Jewell, he goes, why, why are you calling me? This is the coolest thing in the world. He goes, well, didn't Michael call you? You've had the job for a month. Oh, wow. And so my audition, really, was a year. And I guess they finally looked at this. Look at this kid. You know, it might not be the greatest stuff in the world. But he's doing it for like a year. And, you know, some of this is pretty good. And uh, so it wasn't very long after that that Jim... Uh, flew in from London on the Concord, and he was uh, uh, he was filming a Great Muppet Caper at the time, and we had our first meeting. And uh, but I had already had the job, but of course I didn't think I would have the job, right? Really, until I met Jim. What's it like to meet Jim? Well, holy cow! It's Elvis, the Beatles, Picasso, and Van Gogh. You mm. know. And, wow. you know, and every beatnik poet. Okay, all at the same time, man. Golly. And it's just like, holy, I mean. And there's Jim just going like, uh, uh, you know, because I, I, that Saturday I got there really early. They had brought me in. I was there for the whole week, and I was working with Michael and Jim Mann and the and the group. And, uh, you know, and I, I was so excited, of course, to meet Jim that Saturday that uh, – I was there at like seven o'clock in the morning. No one's there. I'm in this conference room all by myself with my brother, uh, who I had uh, uh, taken on. You know, I took him like right out of high school and said, "Here, you're going to help me." You know, and uh, so he was there. Anyway, the door opens up and there's Jim, and and I'll never forget. So you call it a backpack. We used to call it a knapsack. You mm-hmm. know, and he really had like a knapsack on his back. You know, army jacket, and, uh, and you're like, "Oh, you must be Guy." You're early. I'll see you in a little while. And he bopped up the stairs. And I'm like, okay, this is real. Yeah. Uh, this just got real. <laughs> wow. And that was that was how it happened. Now, Man. what's it like? Um, well, as far as when people say, what was it like working with Jim? Because you all, you all have a dream. You didn't meet him. And you all have a dream of what that would be like. Right. Well, times it by a thousand and you're close. 
Ooh, now, buddy. now realize that not only are you meeting him or working for him in some capacity, but you're creating with him on a daily basis. And he's creating all of this stuff, in, but you're a particle in this universe, and he's given you responsibility and ownership of the characters within the universe and now you're a part of that so no pressure right no right pressure. none at all just the greatest guy the greatest creative mind i'll ever know no pressure okay i always was starstruck because like okay we, you know we there there are a lot of incredible people that i've met you know over the years and you know it's certainly right within the you know the the henson community you know all of the actors and this and that let's just take david bowie right okay mm -hmm. so david bowie okay so bowie no, i didn't know him well at all but okay we'll just say david bowie because i did meet him and everything and he was a big part of labyrinth and stuff and they were really close um let's just say bowie okay so um, Musician-wise, okay, Bowie's great, and he's genius. And you go like, okay, lyrics, music, keyboards, guitar, bass, drums, okay, in the studio, okay, okay. Well, he's taking it to different places, but okay, but I get this. I get this how this is done. I get this. Okay, now he's genius. I get this. Okay, but I'm understanding this. This is something that I can deal with, okay? He and I both know how to play Louie Louie. <laughs> okay, like, right. okay, I get this. Okay, I get this. This is rock and roll, man. All right. Now, uh, wires, foam, fur, monitors, and you're changing the world? Okay there's something way bigger going on mm -hmm. there and there was i never got over it i was so and i'm glad i didn't and oh, yeah. no one that worked with jim ever got over it you were always blown away by his focus his work ethic his sharing generous attitude how he gave you ownership how he made you feel like you really were family it's so overused but we really were a family and it was very difficult for instance for jim to always make me feel like part of the family because he's off doing production mm -hmm. and i'm doing public publishing but he made sure that michael always was there you know always 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 and Jim was looking at and, and commenting on and approving every single thing that I did within the time frames that he could work and how he could work. But the thing that Jim would do all the time, and he knew the pressures on me, that year of auditioning, not knowing what it was going to be like to be read by 80 million people. And, you know, and to be in a white light spotlight with, and, and, and trying to recreate all of that magic in little black and white uh, squares each day, writing that stuff, yep. you know, um, and he couldn't have known exactly what that was, but he had a pretty good idea of, you know, that it was going to be a little heavy duty on the kid. Um, and so there would always be, there would be a telegram, there could be a phone call, a note. Uh, from him, sometimes Frank, sometimes Jerry, uh, you know, but always saying, 
I know you're there. I know how hard you're working. I love what you're doing. Let's keep going. You know, love you. Mm-hmm. You know, and that goes uh, a you, long always, way. Always, man. That's amazing. That's so magical. That's and like you said. Take what we think it would be and times it by a thousand, and then we're close. But man, that is wow. Like that just blew my mind hearing that. It was so, and I've got a smile on my face just coming out of that story. That's so powerful. And then the fact that he's doing all this too but he still makes the time to check in with you in different ways and let you know that he knows what you're doing. He appreciates it. Man, that is so powerful. Yeah, he was something else. Absolutely. And, I mean, after you started working with him, too, like some of your you know, Muppet artwork got enshrined in the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C., and you know it was declared a national treasure by then-First Lady Nancy Reagan. How does... You know, factor that into not only meeting and working with Jim, but where does that level out compared to that, knowing that some of your artwork is now labeled a national treasure? Well, it's 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 incredible. And, you know, uh, you know, the thing about being enshrined to the Smithsonian, <laughs> you know, when you're 26 years old, it's like, you know, now that I'm 65 and people say, oh, and, and, and he's a national treasure and he's in the Smithsonian. I always feel like when I go out on tour, I have to, you know, tell everybody, yes, I'm actually alive. I'm not dead. Right. I'm not mummified. There is no formaldehyde. Hi, I'm really here. <laughs> uh, but the way that that whole thing happened was so Jim. It was um, so President Reagan in 84, it's always been 83. So, in 83, so um, President Reagan got in touch with Henson Associates and said, uh, my favorite comic strip is The Muppets. I read it every day. You know, when I read the sports every day, I, every day, I read it. I love it. Amazing. And I'd like for you to come and be the guest of honor at the White House. This was asking Jim. And Jim said, oh, wait. But that's the comic. That's Guy. Send Guy. He'll like that. And that's how I became guest of honor at the White House. That's Jim just deflecting and saying, let's, you know, let's spread it around. That that was the humble, generous, you know, he had a huge ego, too, because, you know, you have to have an ego to to project this incredible, wonderful ego that was out there going like, hey, man, let's love each other. Let's get silly. Let's, like, take care of each other. Let's change the world. We can do this. I mean, that takes a lot of power in your mind. But, like, but he also, if you ever saw a video or anything of him, when he accepted all of the awards and all the accolades, he would always deflect, 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 like, thank everyone, you know, for everything that they did. Yep. And then come up with a really funny, you know, joke, you know, to deflect some more, you know. And, um, but that was Jim. You know, well, Guy would like that. Send Guy. And um, so that's how that, that's how that all happened. Man, and I know, like, there, there's similar things, you know, like getting inducted into a Hall of Fame in the wrestling world, like you said. Yeah, that happened at a young age, but I'm still here. I'm still doing this. And, you know, it's like my career is not over. I've still got more to do. I've still got more gas in the tank. How did you keep that, especially seeing what you went on to do after the fact at such a young age? How did you keep that from going to your head and thinking that this is the peak of the mountain right here? I'm done at this point. It's all a downhill ride. How did you stay motivated to keep going on to do what you did? Because, I mean, like, 
Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was still to come, Looney Tunes, Tom and Jerry, Tiny Tunes, everything was still coming, but you'd already hit that, you know, hit that awesome goal right there, but you still had all this yet to come. How did you stay motivated to not just say, that's it, you know, I, I've peaked at this young age? Okay, well, number one, you have bills. Yep, okay? oh, of you course. Have, and you have a staff and all of that, and they're your family, and you're taking care of them. That's 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 a big part. Mm-hmm. But the other but the other part of it is, and yeah, you know, it goes to your head, and you're a young kid. You don't know how to handle a lot of the stuff and everything, and right. you do the best you can. Um, but deadlines were there, uh, you know, and we had to meet them and everything. And also, the thing is, you don't want to disappoint Right. Uh, yourself and uh, you know, and the person that believes in you and his belief in me was so huge that you know, and having given me that opportunity, you know, uh, at such a young age, uh, that as other doors became you know opened to me, uh, you know, and many doors, uh, you know, I walked through the ones that I wanted to that I really felt like were in my wheelhouse. And, uh, you know, and, and another thing for me to, you know, to work on and another place for me to make people happy. And I just kept looking at I, it was an ever expanding, you know, kind of kind of thing. And of course, there are only so many hours in a day. So you yep. wind up just like Jim did. I put together a team and we were all out there. And the things that I had learned managerially from Michael and Jim uh, and the rest of the team there, I took that with me, you know, everywhere I went uh, and uh, and tried to make people realize that, yeah, my name's on everything, but, you know, but you're, you're just as important. And I would always, you know, I would always, when anybody asked me about anything, I'd bring up my art director and the person that ran my office and the people that were, you know, helping me. And making people realize that, no, it's just not me. It's, yes, I'm out there going like, yes, the buck stops here. We want this to be as great as it can be. Um, But I don't do this alone. And look at all these wonderful people. And I would bring them, you know, with me, uh, you know, uh, when I could, you know, to to anything, you know, that we were doing. Um, As far as, you know, saying you've hit the peak and stuff like that, um, I didn't ever really think of that. Uh, it really wasn't part of my 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 being. Um, uh, yeah, you know that things are going great and everything. But right. I remember, like one time, it was uh, so it was it was uh, like the Thanksgiving weekend, Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. and it was I forget what year it was, but it was in the eighties, and it was the first time that Fraggle Rock had a float. That's how I remember it. Michael had designed this incredible float. And you had the Kermit balloon, too. And the Kermit balloon was like, you know, uh, something had broken or whatever, and he was going off into Central Park or something like that, and they were trying to get him back in and everything. And I found myself in the car with Jim. And Jim said, take a look around and remember it all. Start taking snapshots in your head. Guy, we work so hard. And there are so many demands on you and you're trying so, so hard that sometimes you miss what's going on. It's a blur. It's like a blur. Mm -hmm. So take those pictures, smell those smells, you know, hear those things because this, 
whatever is going on is never going to happen again. Right. And this you're going to take with you, you know. And it was very brief. You know, Jim was not a guy that would pontificate, you know. Right. Um, he would teach you by showing you, you know, or let you make the mistake and figure it out yourself and then nudge you in the right direction. Tweak this, tweak that, you know, detail to this, detail to that. Um, but that, but that idea of take it all in, you know, there's a lot of times people go, how the heck did you do? And, you know, and there are things I don't remember that I did when people bring them up to me, you know. Um, at first, you know, they bring it up, and I, I see it and go, oh, yeah. You know, I always say, you know, you know, Jim hired me in 1980, and around 1990, 1992, I finally took a nap. <laughs> 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 you know, a lot of stuff happens, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, Ooh, but, man. yeah, did I answer the question, or did I? Oh, yes, sir. I, I definitely oh, think okay. you did. Okay. You definitely did. And like I said, there was so much that came after that, too. And I mean, like, even in, in 1995, you took over um, a long-running comic strip that I'm personally familiar with, and had been around almost 60 years at that point, and I'm referring to Nancy. So I'm guessing all of this stuff, especially working with Jim, having your own teams, when you took this over in 95, did that kind of prepare you to assume that where it was running every week and you had new material? Did that kind of get you ready to take over Nancy? Well, um, it did. Um, it did talk about choices and stuff. Okay. I made a lot of bad ones. Right. And, uh, you know, I mean, I used to, you know, uh, but uh, you know, I used to turn stuff down. Like I turned Ninja Turtles down at oh, first. Wow. And, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's another story. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, and that's a real funny one. I'll tell you that in a minute. But, okay. but, uh, but just, but, but anyway, when David, my agent called me about Nancy, I had just gotten back from Japan and I was now involved in uh, creating logos for baseball over in Japan. I had created a World Cup soccer uh, character oh, wow. with some, and uh, and I wasn't in syndication anymore. You know, I was doing other things. We were doing children's books, the Tiny Dino, my my stuff, my my series, mm-hmm. and also uh you know doing things like you know like tiny tunes and this and that you know and and uh whatever it happened to be and anyway but we 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 were rolling right along and uh then uh you know this thing would i'd move over to this thing move over to that thing anyway phone call came in and you know jerry scott had been doing nancy for a long time things like 10 years right and and david calls me and says hey um Jerry's gonna leave Nancy. He's got a new thing, Baby Blues, or and uh, uh, and uh, the other one. Um, oh gosh, I'm uh, spacing. I'm, um, I'm and, drawing a blank on it too, uh, but definitely love Baby Blues. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, anyway, but he had two strips, and uh, now I had two strips. And anyway, he was gonna leave, and I said, you know, Nate, they're losing papers. It's you know, it's it's on its way out. Um, but they really want to get your take on this. And, uh, you know, you know the people and everything. You've worked with them before on, you know, the dinos and stuff uh, in the 80s. Uh, and I went like, I said, you know, they're, they're interested in like more of an Ernie Bushmiller take. And I'm like, yeah, but David, that's syndication. I've been, I did that already. And I'm like, 
you know, kind of doing this other stuff, and it's really not my, you know, that's not like my style. Mm-hmm. And um, so I said, you know, I, I don't think so. I don't know. I don't think so. So I have fun. And uh, then I tried to draw the characters, and I couldn't. And it got me ticked off. Oh. And, uh, you know, I was like, come on, man. You you know, you've drawn a hundred different characters in all these different universes. Wait, you can't draw this? And But I could not. And so for about a week, I just, you know, was on my own, by myself, but no team, anything. I just, like, started. I found scrap. I, you know, was trying to ink with a pen that I hadn't done very much of. And I'm doing this thing, and I'm trying to get into the head, and I'm doing turnarounds and model sheets and stuff, and I'm, like, trying to write the stuff. And then I called David about a week later, and I said, okay, uh, I got a few, and I think it looks okay. Um, you want to show it to him? And he says, I thought you weren't going to do it. I said, well, that was that was before I found out I couldn't. Right. He says, so you found out you couldn't, so now you did? I said, yeah. He goes, yeah, you about, make about as much sense as you usually do. Um, <laughs> he said, send it over to me. Because he said, he says, he says, send it over to me. He says, wait, before you do it, hang on. So he calls him up. And he goes, oh, well, we've got, we're, we're signing a guy with a development deal. There's somebody else. He says, okay, hey, genius. They, <laughs> it sounds like they got somebody, but send it over anyway. I'll go show it to him. And he called me that day, the day he got it, and said, well, uh, you got a deal. And I went like, oh, oh, okay, I'm going to do Nancy. He says, yeah. And uh, they were really on deadline, I remember. And so even those first strips that I did, they got used. And, uh, you know, but I had a a few months to kind of, you know, get up to get up to speed. But the idea really with the, the strip was, you know, losing papers at the time. And I really, even though they gave me a two-year deal, we, David and I, really thought, gee, if we get six months out of this, you know. Yeah. And, um, but, uh, you know, miracles happen, and, you know, uh, papers stopped dropping it, and they, we were even picking up a few, and things were rocking and rolling. Then before you know it, well, look at that. You know, 22, almost 23 years I did it. Yep. And the last, whatever it was, 15 or something like that, you know, I hired Brad again, you know, to help write on the stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, then he sort of petered out after a while. And I, you know, kind of just kept on trucking with it and I wrote it. And it gave me, you know, a wonderful, you know, platform as far as the pressure and freaking out, you know, you get pressure in everything, you know, you have deadlines and books and television shows and everything you do. And so you do the best that you can under the time that you have. And you, you find your creative space within pleasing the audience and also being respectful and trying to please, uh, if it's a character that you didn't create, try to please that person. You know that did that, that that created that, and just try to bring honor to everybody and have some fun. And uh, and and as far as the pressure of doing the strip, the one thing I will say is I didn't really feel it because I had already, you know, done a couple of strips, Mm -hmm. and so again, I not ego wise, but just 
looking at myself, writer's block, are you going to be able to do this and all of that? I kind of go, well, you haven't missed a deadline so far. So even though you don't feel like it today, you'll probably get this done. You know, you've got a decent track record. You know, we all fall into slumps and all of that. But, you know, you go like, hey, you know, I got a decent track record. I, I, you know, I'll get this done. And that was, you know, how it went. Because uh, when people think of the funnies, too, you know, they tend to think of the Sunday funnies, you know, weekly thing. It's oh, not. Yeah. It's seven days a week. Oh, yeah. And you're, and everything you come up with does not wind up there. You know, you need a 1,000 or 2,000 jokes mm-hmm. to get those 365. And uh, and certainly life is always happening. Oh, yeah. Again, with the excuses, excuses why you can't do this, right? But in the very end, when you look at it, there's a little space there in the newspapers around the world that are waiting on your drawing. And so you do it. Absolutely. And it, it, again, with those numbers you gave too, it kind of ties back to the baseball analogy you gave earlier of, you know, it takes three out of 10 hits to get you in the Hall of Fame, but it's four out of 10 hits to make you the all time great. It's the same kind of percentages right there too, where, you know, for a thousand or 2000 jokes that you may have only 365 are getting done, but you've got to have that, that cushion in between. And that's, that's absolutely insane to think about because like you said, most people only think of the Sunday funnies, but you've got a seven day period and those newspapers come every day, no matter what. Every day and life is going to happen. Yep. That's why I, that's why I'm very positive with people and I try to be respectful. Um, but you know, but when I hear, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of old, old hat stuff about, you know, getting in the mood and this and that and like, yeah, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Right. Yep. You gotta, yeah. you gotta just go and get it done. Otherwise it's not going to get done. Well, you know, Jim has a very famous quote that says magic is hard work, but hard work can be fun. Absolutely. So get it in your head. Hey, this is what I do. This is fun. I ain't working on the highway in 107 heat. This is fun. You know, 100%. 100%. Because there's chances are too, there may be somebody that will be dying to be where you are now. And you're just completely missing the great opportunity that you have right there to just be in that moment and experience it. Well, that's a great, that's a great motivator. Absolutely. uh, One of the big motivations that I always had was I realized that I was the guy out of 200 people that got that gig with Jim. And, uh, so I would many times when, you know, I, you know, just wasn't, you know, just wasn't hitting it that day or that week or whatever, I would think back to when I was really hungry and say, there's about a thousand people out there that are trying harder than you right now. So you better get your act together and try harder than them. Oh yeah. Very, very wise words right there. That is the truth. 100%. And that's a, that's a great motivator right there too. If it, if that doesn't motivate you, I don't know what will. Yeah, it's, it's one of the things that you do. You know, when I when I hear this 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 age old adage that says, you know, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Well, you are. Give me a break. Yeah, I mean, of course we work. You know, whoever said that, this is what I think they meant because I don't know what that other thing means because there's no truth in it. Right. Um, what what I think 
it really means is this. I absolutely love what I do. I love making people happy. The I love the rewards that come with it. And so whatever sacrifices and stuff that I have to make and whatever I have to do in my life to make this the best that it can be, I find joy in that. And then I find joy in the joy that it brings. And so at the end of the day, all of the hard work makes me happy. Absolutely. Man, wise, wise words right there. And I think you you nailed it to a T. And that is the I think that is a great mindset to have in that, especially when it comes to hard work, because like you said, we're all going to work. We're all going to have to do some hard work to get to where we want to be. But you can have that positive mindset and it can be fun because like you said, we're not working out on the streets in 107 degree heat because that heat wave ain't ending right now. So, you know, there's, it could always be worse, but we could always enjoy what we have right now and make the best of it and get ourselves closer to that ultimate goal that we all have in mind too. Yeah, man, man. And I, I only got two more questions here before we round this interview out. I definitely want to circle back to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, if you don't mind telling that story. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So, oh yeah, I spaced out on that one. All right. Oh, so, it's all good? Um, okay, so I'm working with Random House. I've got, I've got a deal with Roberta Purcell at Random uh, Children's and uh, Happy House and stuff. That was the, 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 the kids' books and the uh, coloring books. And the idea was I had a, a, a good-sized staff. And they knew that we always come on deadline. And she would, so when there would be a new property that would come through, that was going to be a Saturday morning type thing, she would always offer it to me first. I had the same kind of deal with a couple of other uh, publishers as well. Mm -hmm. She had a lot of people (coughs) that were also helping me and that we'd we'd make the deadlines and stuff and we'd, you know, come out with a decent product. Anyway, so she calls me up one day and says, hey, guys, you're not going to believe this. I don't have a picture or anything, but I don't need a picture. She says, I just see this thing that they're trying to get you to be the guy to do some books based on something. I think they got a pilot or something on ABC. She says, I don't really know. She says, it's called Teenage Mutilated Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Oh, what? She says, oh, wait, it gets better. Mutilated Ninja Turtles, so they're these little turtles, and they walk through some kind of nuclear goof or something like that, and now they're mutilated, and now they're heroes, and now they, like, do karate and stuff, and they live in a sewer, and their boss is a rat, and I'm going, just stop, just stop, no, they eat pizza, no, stop, just stop, and anyway, so that was that. We were laughing, 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 anyway, okay, next, because she was used to be saying, you know, no to stuff that I didn't want to do. And there was a lot of sort of gross stuff out there, you know, like that garbage pail case and everything. Not nothing against us, not my not my cup of tea. So um, anyway, so we hang up, and then a couple weeks later, I guess you know, is the way that I tell the story because hey, you know, it was somewhere around there. Right. So, a couple weeks go by, not very long though, and I get a phone call from a guy from Jersey, and he talks just like a guy from Jersey, <laughs> and uh, and he's like, uh, "You turn me down." I'm like, huh? how'd you get my, how did you get my personal number? 
you turn me down. This is Guy Gilchrist, right? I'm like, yeah, and you are. It's the turtle guy. I go, the what? The turtle guy, the ninja turtles. I said, wait a minute, the mutilated turtles that live in a story? He goes, no, 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 they're not mutilated, they're mutated, it's cute. <laughs> and I go, <laughs> I go, oh, come on, man. Anyway, uh, and he's going, come on, come on, come on, you know, look, we got a lot going on here, you know, we got, we're, we're trying to get the TV, we got the toys, we got the books, we got nobody to coordinate this, come on, you know you know the other guy, this is what you do, come on now. And let me send you over the pilot. Anyway, it turned out that it was the guy that got them all their deals and, uh, you know, it was the, the guy with Playmate Toys and everything. And he was a fantastic guy. And I, I said, okay, you know, well, you know, send me over what you got. And he sent me over Xeroxes of the storyboards of the first episode or something and synopsises of, you know, what was going on. And I read it and I went, well, I'll be darned. I like this. Oh yeah. I, I, I said, you know, that the, the arc. I said it. It's like bonanza. Um, I, you know, I, I'm a story guy, so I'm reading it. I'm going like, wait a minute. Okay, so this guy, and you know, there's this teacher guy, and he's got his kids. There's kids. They're a strange family, but that's great. I was really always into unconventional, you know, families and unconditional love and all right, that. Right, right. And I said, so, you know, he, he's got these brothers and, you know, and he's the patriarch. And, you know, every once in a while, you know, guys come in on the Ponderosa. They got to go beat them up and stuff and, you know, and, and, and save the world and everything. And then they all go into the kitchen. And instead of, you know, Hop Singh coming in at the end of the show, it's a pizza boy, you know, bringing in the pizza. I went, okay, I kind of like this. My kind of ending. Let's you know. Let's now the, the 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 you know the characters are sort of scary. Let's work on that. Let's work on you know. Let's make the villain a real yeah uh uh kind of dishonest John guy. Mm-hmm. And so with the Three Stooges, we'll have fun with this, and that's what we did. Man, that is amazing. And just think, what could have been had you not you know taken that chance and had that conversation? I mean, that's and just think of what we as fans would have missed out on. That's. That's incredible, and I just love that you were able to take it, make it fun, play with it, and then just all these different aspects that came into the story. It's so amazing, and I'm just I'm well, glad that it worked you know, out Kevin that way. And Peter were hearing the same things, you mm-hmm. know, and and we were all on board. Now I was the outlier. Okay, I was not working within you know their place over in Northampton. I was the only guy that they had hired outside of that, you know, and so I was doing my thing. But the, the reason that they wanted me was because it was sort of like, well, you know, Disney hires him, Warner Brothers hires him, United Artists, etc. Yep. And well, you know, we would like to get that guy on board. The other thing was that to do those books that we did with Random, uh, you know, they were like thirty-two page, full color airbrushed books and that's a lot of work and uh, we had a lot of titles and we had very 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 little time to do them so it wasn't anything where oh we could all get together i learned how to draw them this and that it's like no 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 no, no. he's got the vibe you know you know if he takes it you know we think that this will work out well and uh, you know so yeah i did it you know on my own i get to see steve levine quite a bit on the on the tour mm-hmm. and you know and steve you know was you know everything with you know with kevin and peter 
And uh, and Steve says, I remember that day that we found out you were going to do it. He said, we ordered pizza. It was great. <laughs> but, hey, we know some, there's going to be some good stuff coming out of there, you know? Absolutely. Oh, man. That is amazing. And, and speaking of good stuff, too, this is really the last question that I have for you. And it, it may be more of a personal one, but it kind of circles back to what we were talking about. You know, like you coming off the road with the convention tours and making the appearances and everything. You go all out with your art at these conventions. Like you've got your work across the table. You've got the pop boxes that you've, you've worked your masterpieces on. What is it like for you when you have these parents that come up to you that grew up on your work but are now able to introduce their kids and the new generations to your work? What does that mean to you when these people come to your table and recount these experiences of growing up with things that you helped create or, you know, like introducing their kids to it? What does that mean to you? Well, two things. Um, The reason I always have brand new artwork and everything is when I first started doing the cons, I didn't like them. Right. Uh, and here's why. It had nothing to do with the audiences. I was not prepared and did not know how to do this. Yeah. Now, I've been a lot of motivational speaking and, of course, you know, speaking and telling stories and everything for many, many years. But I went not really understanding the, the community. And so I would try to draw and tell stories at the same time. What does that get you when you multitask? <laughs> it means do two jobs badly. Yep. Um, and uh, so I had to take stock after one or two of them and say, okay, you're either going to quit this or you're in it. And I said, well, you know, the other part of it is it's the oldies tour in that, you know, I mean, I'm active and I'm doing all kinds of other stuff. And if you follow me on social, you know all, all the oh, stuff yeah. I'm working or what the, when we announce it. And um, But I also know how much love there is for the characters. So what I decided to do was treat it like, you know, I was a band that had a bunch of hits in the 60s or 70s or 80s or whatever. And then remember that when you go to a show and you pay the money, uh, you know, you want that you know that that person sung, you know, that Van Morrison has sung Moon Dance three million times. Mm-hmm. But at night, it's your time. And is he going to phone it in or is he there? And you know the difference when you're in the audience, if that person's with you. So I got into the habit of drawing all of the characters all the time so that when somebody would say, oh, I remember Tom and Jerry and they're pointing to a picture, I say, well, me too. That was Wednesday. And that breaks the ice. And they know you're with them, you know. And, uh, and and so all the artwork is out there already, and I can sit at the table, and if I choose to draw, you know, I do, and if I'm and if I'm not, you've got everything in front of you. Well, I figured out the way, you know, to make it work for me where it was fresh all the time. And as far as the generations, and now there's three of them, uh, I meet these folks, and you know, the thing that you forget is that. Um, or that you may not know unless you do what I do, is that, you know, I'm happily chained over here for 45 years or whatever mm-hmm. to, the, to the drafting table. And if I'm not on a book tour, a media tour, I'm not, not out speaking someplace, which I could only do when I wasn't heavy duty into uh, production. It's a very uh, uh, solitude. It's a, it's a solitary life. And... Uh, you know, you may have the guys around you helping you. Right, people, right. 
families at different teams and different times, but it's you. And, um, you know, and you get fan mail and everything like that, but it's you and you're just there. So then when you go out and you meet thousands of people on a weekend and they're bringing you that stuff and bringing you the stories of what it means to them growing up and their families and the wonderful times that they remember about either Saturday mornings or, you know, or sitting there on a Friday night or on a Tuesday night or something like that with the grandpa and everything and watching Rainbow Connection on, you know, uh, watching the movies, watching the shows. Uh, what Tom and Jerry means to him, Pink Panther, Looney Tunes, whatever it happens to be, these are, this is like love, 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 love. And you're going like, wow, wow. I mean, like, wow. I mean, these people are standing in line to love you. And oh, yeah. what an incredibly meaningful thing. You know, you're just doing your job. And it means something, and that was what it was all about. And isn't this cool? Absolutely. uh, So that's that. Man, that is powerful, powerful stuff right there. And it just makes the convention scene that much better because, like you said, you know what it means to these people, and they know that you're there with them, not just phoning it in. So, guys, if Guy is coming to your town at a convention – make sure you get out there and go see him. And I'm going to have links to everything he's doing in the show notes here so that you can see if he's coming to a town near you. You can go and meet him personally. You can get some of his fantastic artwork. And then you can just make that connection face-to-face. And, hey, if you heard him on this episode, tell him. Tell him you liked it. But, man, that is Okay, now I've got some questions for you. Oh, okay. We're going to change it around here. Let's go. All right. Okay, so... What do you like about going to the conventions? What is it about the community that's attractive to you? The biggest thing for me, and it's it's taken me a while, especially after getting into the acting scene and meeting, or even like the professional wrestling scene, where a lot of us grew up in a time where some of the stuff that like is big at conventions, like the cartoons, the anime, the wrestling, whatever it may be, wasn't exactly the coolest thing to like at the time we were growing up so you know like you were kind of the kid that kept it quiet at school but you went home and you just binged watched it but growing up now and seeing this community it's so cool to see that everybody is so immersed in it that everybody is still in touch with their inner childhood and in my case too especially as a parent I'm getting to introduce my kids to this stuff that I grew up on and they're starting to like it it's just so cool to be around your fellow people and you kind of get that battery recharge to just not only meet your fellow fans and get to know them and, you know, find out what it meant to them, but then you get to meet these people and, you know, in my case too, some that have gone on to become mentors on the acting side of things and thank them for what they, you know, like the memories they gave you growing up that you now get to pass on to the next generation. It's just, it's so much to say, but it's literally just the connections that you make with people that make it so special. Mm. And, and, um, uh, so what's your, what's your favorite part of acting? Favorite part of acting is getting to explore different depths that I may not have even known were there, especially like, you know, referencing earlier, I didn't have the best relationship with my dad growing up. So if there is, you know, like a role that may be, you know, a, let's say deadbeat dad to put it in PG terms, 
getting to take the angers and the frustrations and the hurt that I had as the son in that and being able to relay that as the character of the dad and getting to explore it from a different side and also have a cathartic experience getting that out, that has Mm -hmm. been... I can't even think of the best way to say it because rewarding feels like it's selling it short, but it's the emotional release has just been amazing, especially in improv settings too. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. I, I always feel like, um, you know, coming from a household that was not, you know, it was, it was, it was abusive. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I always look at, um, uh, as my, uh, when 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 I'm making uh, you know other people happy, and uh, and all of that, well, you know where that's coming from is it's not coming from uh, me escaping, you know, as a kid or anything. No, 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 no. It's coming from the fact that I'm a dad. Mm-hmm. That I realized what you know was wrong, and so you know I would just say, well, you know, my dad did took a right here i'm going to take a left that's probably the best thing to do Absolutely. and i learned you know uh probably the best way to go uh you know by you know by mirroring what he did the opposite you know i just did the opposite the opposite Absolutely. the opposite i'm a good dad and a, and a granddad and everything like that so uh you know i look at the uh you know i mean i look at the, everything that ever happened to me as being an incredible gift that brought me to wherever I am, you know, at that moment, oh, yeah. whether good, bad, or indifferent. So I totally understand where you're coming from on that. Man, that's and that, everything you said is just spot on too. Because I, especially as a parent, I try and same thing you said. My dad went right, I'm going left, or just the complete opposite of it. It still rings true today because those thoughts still run through my head, and I just want to make sure that my kids don't have those same experiences growing up that I did because I know how that feels and I don't want to continue that cycle. Yeah. And, and now you, you know, and, and going into the cons and stuff, you know, you're able to take the kids stuff with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get to see what, you know, what you're into. They get to see what they're into. Yep. And the nice thing about the cons too is, you know, the Muppet universe is incredibly inclusive. You know, oh, yeah. we're all weird. We all are silly. We all, you know, love each other and, you know, respect each other and, you know, and and hopefully can laugh at each other's, you know, failures and differences and all of that stuff and come together. And we see the inclusiveness, uh, you know, of the Muppets universe very, very much so in the conventions. Absolutely. Uh, where, you know, where people that may not feel like they belong anywhere else, they certainly belong there. Yes, sir. And that's, oh, man, that is so powerful again. But it's it's art imitating reality. It's art imitating reality 100%. Yeah, it's a great, you know, the, the, it's, a, it, it's a really, really fun thing. I mean, I wind up getting exposed to a whole bunch of stuff that I don't know anything about. I mean, I don't know anything about anime. Right. You know, like the least sort of, you know, informed guy in the hall mm-hmm. and that always saying like so what's that so what's that so what's that so what are you there you know what what is this right you know and i also discover uh you know a lot of different artists uh actors um you know folks that i didn't know anything about we become friends or i just find their art you know uh, their writings their whatever stuff that would have never happened because again uh 
you know, you, you know, uh, it's a solitary life when you're, when you're creating this stuff and, uh, to be out and about in those, in, in that sort of incredibly, you know, slam bam, diverse culture, uh, where everything is just sort of smushed together. It reminds me of when I was working in Tokyo and you, you'd go down the Ginza and they'd have these big storefronts on the Ginza of art. And there'd be every kind of art from Renoir to Picasso, wow. uh, you know, to, to, uh, you know, to Warhol, to everything, you know, in between. And it'd be all like you know, slapdash in these giant windows. And you go like, wow, that's really cool. Oh, that's yeah. really cool. Art is art. Cool, man. You know, and uh, that's, that's, that's kind of how I feel when I go to the, go to the cons, you know, I love it's it. like, cool, cool, man. Everybody's having a good time. That's all but that matters I, right I, there. I want the world to be like this. Yeah, where if only. We're all having a good, you know, we're all having a good time. We're all caring about each other. And we're celebrating each other's differences. Yep. Oh, man, if only, if only we could get the world if like only, that. Yeah. If only. Whew, man, great question. Great question. Whew, any others you want to throw my way? Hmm. Hmm. Let's see. Okay. I've never asked this. Okay. All right. So, what's your favorite project of mine? Man, okay. He's asked me, like, well, who's my favorite character? What's your favorite thing of mine? I think it's going to have to be Muppet Babies because I just remember growing up with that as a kid. And I, it not only, you know, the cartoon itself, but the lessons it taught and then also the memories that it takes me back to of. When my grandmother would babysit me, because when I would wake up at her house, that was usually what was on TV at that time. And Eight o'clock on CBS. That's, that's right. it. And it just it brings those memories back too. But you know, again, just seeing how it's still becoming a part of, of pop culture today and still relevant, that it's so cool to see that part of my childhood that holds those memories like that I hold so dear is still out there. It's still popular. And then, of course, I mean. You can't go wrong with a baby Kermit or a baby Fozzie. You just you can't go wrong with that. And I remember too, like having a you know baby Fozzie Rattler growing up that I held on to for, gosh, I don't even know four until I was like four or five years old, and then it miraculously disappeared in a yard sale. So thank you, mom. But you know, it's like just <laughs> things like that that I remember just so randomly but so vividly that hold those memories so dear to my heart. That's. It's definitely going to be Muppet Babies and definitely Baby Fozzie. There was this little baby, little baby, I mean like, I don't know, 18 months maybe, mm-hmm. in a stroke, right? And the mom and the dad are saying, do you have anything of Baby Fozzie? Do you have anything? And, 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 she's, and she's got like her little plush, you know, Baby Fozzie, the right. new version of Baby Fozzie. And they go, she imitates baby i'm going okay <laughs> she's 18 months or something okay and she goes honey baby fozzy and so all she does is take her bottle and throw it out of the stroller <laughs> and then she throws her arms out and she goes waka waka <laughs> and i'm like oh my gosh Oh, that's amazing. If Jim could only see. That is amazing. I'm sure he did. Oh, he would have to. And I know he he had to be smiling when he saw that. 
Oh, yeah. It, Gosh. You know, these characters, you know, live on and on and on and on and on. And, uh, you know, Michael, Isabel Miller, Jim Mahan, uh, you know, uh, we all put so much time into those characters. And it's so nice to see, you know, them continue, you know, on and on and on. Um, it's very, very nice that the characters continue that's something that jim truly wanted mm -hmm. and, uh and i and i know that when steve whitmer and i are are out uh meeting people what well, the thing that we tried to also do is to impart some of jim's character to people and to share some of the stories as i've shared with you this evening um to to know that person of course that did those things um, and maybe you'll go want to know more about him because, uh, because he embodies so much of what we all, uh, should aspire to. 100%. Man, that, that is spot on nail, hammer to the nail, nailed it 100%, knocked it out of the park, man. Whew. I can't think of a better way to, uh. To round that out right there, because I got to be a guinea pig, we got to drop some insightful, insightful knowledge. Well, you did, and I was just here, but man, like this has been an absolute experience. <laughs> no, I really enjoyed hearing your your Thank stuff you. and turn the tables on you. That was fun. Thank you, and I appreciate it. I know we went a little over the time we had discussed beforehand, but man, this this conversation does not feel like it has gone by. And the length of time that I'm looking at right now, it feels like we just started not even five minutes ago, and this has just been, I, I have been smiling ear to ear this entire time. This has been amazing. Well, thank you, man. I've had a wonderful, wonderful time. And uh, I uh, appreciate your time. Of course. And uh, all the wonderful words. And I uh, hope I get to see you out there on the road someday. Absolutely. I, I, you took the words right out of my mouth because I think we've, I've got some things coming up. So hopefully schedules will align. I know there's some things closer in our backyard here that may be coming up in the next year or so. So, Hopefully we'll reconnect before then, but if not, a pretty safe bet we'll probably see each other then as well. But I'm for sure putting it out there to make sure that the universe is going to give it back to us and make it happen. Yeah, well, hey, man, it will. It will. Absolutely. Well, Guy, thank you so much for your time here tonight. And I'm going to have links to not only your website but your social media as well so that people can keep up with you. And if you're coming to a town near them, by all means, please go out there go to the con, have some fun, take in the immersive experience, go by Guy's booth and just be in awe of this artwork and meet the man himself. You will not regret one second of it. Hey, thank you so much. Really appreciate of it. Of course, sir. And thank you for your time as well. Like I said, I know we went a little bit over, but man, I cannot say thank you enough. I am just eternally grateful that you had the time here. And is there anything else I can do? Anything else you'd like to plug before we call it a night here? Uh, no, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, you know, the, all of the, all of the, the, the books and everything that I'm working on or, you know, they're on Amazon and they're yes, everywhere sir. and we, we try to make announcements, uh, you know, about, about things. And, uh, the one thing that I'll just say is, uh, in case you didn't get the message yet, um, every time you say thank you for my childhood or something like that. Um, I always and always and I always will mean it. I say, no, 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 no. Thank you. We, my 
myself and everyone that I've ever worked with, we did it for you. And your joy truly is why we did it. So thank you. We love you guys. And we couldn't have done it without you. We, you know, you're the ones that watch it, read it, you know, consume it, have the toys, the games, the everything. And, you know, because nothing that we did would have meant anything unless it connected with you. So thank you. Absolutely. And that's a great way to bring it home right there, guys. So you know the deal. And you guys, I can't say thank you enough to all of you for continuing to listen to this show We're already getting into year two here, which still blows my mind, but you know the deal. Every Friday we're going to be here. I'm going to be bringing you awesome guests like like Guy here. Like, man, this has been like an awe-inspiring interview for me. I am so excited. I hope you guys enjoy getting the eavesdrop on this conversation. And if this wasn't enough to get you to hit the subscribe button, (laughs) I don't know what else to do. But hopefully you will so you can come back next Friday at the same time for another awesome interview But in the meantime, guys, go out, have some fun, do some good in the world, just give it back, make, lift somebody up if they're feeling down, or if you're feeling down, don't be afraid to let them lift you up too, but just go out and do some good in the world, and you know that I'll be back here next week waiting for you with another pick-me-up and another awesome interview. So go out, have some fun, get connected with Guy, go check out his website, all that's going to be in the show notes, and we'll see you again next week. And I know you hear me. The I Know You Hear Me podcast is a presentation of Flynn Hendricks Enterprises. We thank you for tuning in this week and we hope you'll check out our sponsors and advertisers. Make sure you check us out next week as we come back at the same time with another awesome episode.